Thank you. Well, it's always a privilege to be able to share with you from the Word of God. And I'm actually starting a series today that's probably going to go two to three weeks. I'm not sure. It depends on how much we are able to cover each week. But um, it's been percolating in my heart for over a year. I've been studying uh, on the life of the prophet Elijah, and there's so many life lessons to learn as we study the prophet Elijah. So if you have your Bible with you and you want to open it to First Kings, you can get ready. Um, that's where we're going to be spending some of our time in First Kings. But I did want to start by uh, reading from Second Timothy 3, because we are living in a day and an age when the news, the social media, the newspapers, television, wherever you get your news from, um, it is very overwhelming at times when we see what's happening in the world today, when we see what's happening in our culture, when we see what's happening in our nation. It can feel very, very overwhelming, the godliness that we see out there. And I wanted to just read a scripture with you, and then I want us to take a look at the life of Elijah, because there's a lot of important and valuable keys there and lessons for us to walk away from that are applicable to us today and the day and the season and the age that we live in. God is a God of hope. He's a God of strength. He's a God of vision. He's a God of destiny. And God always has a plan. And so let me read out of Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So he's basically saying, this is what's going to happen. People will be lovers of themselves. Do you see that? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. So greed motivating them. Idolatry for money and possessions. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. This is what Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy. And this is not going to be the basis for my message, but I felt that especially with the recent um, things that we've been seeing in the news that are just almost overwhelmingly grievous. And, I mean, um, we've been gone for three weeks, so I've been trying to avoid some of, um, some of those things, you know, but I have been t- keeping up with it a couple times a week. I'll just get uh, scan the news on, on the Internet, and, I mean, it's enough to make you cry. It really is. Some of the things that are being exposed and revealed out on the earth today, so much debauchery and so much evil and so much heartache. And so we, we are people that need to keep our focus on God. We need to keep our focus on our King, Jesus. We need to keep our focus on God has a plan, that he is victorious. And even in the midst of evil times, even in the midst of overwhelming darkness, God is always on the throne his throne is, his kingdom is unshakable. His kingdom is without end. He is always victorious. And nothing ever takes God by surprise. And God is a just and righteous God. And those who are evil, unless they repent, will receive their just reward someday. You know, and so we have to bear in mind all of these things. But what I wanted us to look at is the life, the life of Elijah. Elijah was an amazing man of God. He was an incredible prophet. And um, in James 5, I know you have your hand in 1 Kings, so keep your fingers there. But in James 5, 
James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus, writes, James 5, 17 through 18, that Elijah was a man just like us. We could say Elijah was a man, a human being, just like the rest of us. He learned important things about himself and about his God. And so what I'm going to do is read you that passage of scripture right now in James 5, because it tells us about the power of Elijah's prayers. And Brenda, I really appreciate you organizing the prayer at the school. That is incredible and amazing and powerful. And, uh, you know, none of us are going to know the full extent of how, what a difference that makes, but we know it does make a difference. And our, prayer, our schools definitely need our prayers. So it says in James 5.17, Elijah was a man just like us. So listen, sometimes we feel like we are helpless against the tide of darkness that's in the earth. Sometimes we feel like we don't have anything that we can do to make a difference. That's not true. That's not true at all. Elijah was a human, just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. So that's a little background about Elijah, but we're going to look in First Kings now. And just kind of get a little background of what it was like when Elijah was on the earth, when he was ministering for God and being God's spokesman. First of all, I want us to look at the king that was ruling at that time over Israel. It's King Ahab. And in verse 29 of 1 Kings 16, 1 Kings 16, verse 29, it says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Amri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, who was an evil king before him, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of the king of the Sidonians. Sidonians, excuse me, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. Now this was really like the worst thing that a king could ever do. He was the leader of God's people. He was meant to be a representative. He was meant to lead the way and guide the people in their worship and commitment to God Almighty. But this king was a wicked and evil king, and he worshiped the false god Baal. And we'll, you'll hear in a little bit about how evil the worship of Baal was. He also set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So he built a temple and he set up an altar to worship him. And he also made an Asherah pole. And he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, and to anger him than all the kings of Israel before him. So here we have this king who's in power right now. And he's a very evil, wicked king. Now, what you may not know is how debauch how much debauchery there was associated with this worship of Baal. Baal was a false god. But behind every false god is a demon spirit that wants the worship. It's in the spiritual realm behind the false gods are demonic spirits. So there was a demonic spirit attached to this that was trying to get all the worship for itself and away from God. And this religion Baal was one of the principal male deities of the Canaanite people. And he was their god of fertility, small g. He was their god of fertility, the god of rain, the god of vegetation. And their religion promoted both male and female cult prostitution. Their worship consisted of immoral orgies and sexual acts. 
Their prophets and priests were the official murderers of little children, sacrificing newborn babies in their temples. So when we're talking about worshiping Baal, we're not just talking about um, something, you know, kind of superficial. We're talking about the very fabric and core of the nation being corrupted and turned into the most evil, wicked, debauchery that you can imagine, beyond what we can imagine, really, beyond what we can imagine. So this was what was going on in the nation of Israel under the leadership and example of the king at that time. He had made the mistake of marrying the daughter of a king, um, and her name was Jezebel. Maybe some of you have heard the term Jezebel before. She was a real person. She was uh, very intimidating, very controlling, very dominating, and she was the one that turned Ahab's heart fully toward, away from God and toward worshiping the false gods and to worship Baal. And really, Ahab was like a puppet in her hands. And so this is just a little background about what was going on. But God's answer for this evil king was to prepare and raise up a mighty prophet named Elijah, who was going to oppose the corrupt religious system and to proclaim God's purpose to his people and call them back to God. Now, Elijah lived in an evil day. And sometimes I know you can feel like you're living in an evil day because, as I said, the evil can be overwhelming. But again, God will raise up voices. He will raise up people. He raises up his church because he promised, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We are called to be salt and we are called to be light. And so today, as we look around, we feel like it's an evil day in many ways. I want us to draw courage from Elijah. I want us to draw some very significant insights into how God operates from the life of Elijah. So now we're going to flip to Elijah 17, chapter 17. Excuse me, 1 Kings 17, where Elijah appears on the scene. Up to this time, there has been no mention of Elijah whatsoever. But all of a sudden, There's a new prophet on the scene, and his name is Elijah. And though we haven't found anything about him in Scripture up to this time, it's very obvious that he and God have a history together. It's very obvious that Elijah knows his God, and God knows Elijah. And God knows that Elijah is the man for the hour. So we're going to read starting in verse 1. Now Elijah was a Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead. And he said to Ahab, so here we have him all of a sudden appearing on the scene, and he somehow manages to get in for an audience with Ahab. And he speaks to Ahab, and he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, first of all, he's, he's introducing himself, and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve. So this was his credentials to the king. He said, Listen, I'm a, I'm a servant of the Most High God, and I serve him. And this is who I am, and that's all you need to know about me. So that was his credentials that Elijah presented to the king. He said, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he had been in God's presence, and he knew he could speak this with authority. How would you like God to give you the assignment of going and speaking to the greatest authority in the nation and say, well, I have a message for you. God says, at my word, there's neither going to be dew nor rain for three and a half years. You had to know that you heard from God, and you had to have a real relationship with the Lord in order to have that kind of confidence and boldness, didn't you? Elijah was that man. 
Right, he would be executed because uh, as we go on, we'll see how Jezebel handled the prophets. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook. And many translations translate that Cherith, and we have a Cherith here at our, in our uh, church. I love that name, Cherith. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the ravine, to the brook Cherith, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, wow. So first of all, he sent, he gets one word from God, go to Ahab and bring him this message. And then after he obeyed God and delivered the message to Ahab, the word of the Lord came to him again. Now I want you to understand that as we watch, walk through in, uh, the scripture and we look at the life of Elijah, that God spoke to him at different times. But when Elijah heard from God and then did, what God instructed him to do, and completed that, that, then the Lord would speak to him again. And as I was reading this and studying this some time ago, I realized that sometimes we don't get a word from the Lord, a fresh word from the Lord, because we haven't responded to and done the things that God has told us previously. Is that, are you all following me? Sometimes God speaks to us, and then we're saying, God, I haven't heard from you in a long time. It just feels like you're silent right now. Why, why do I not feel like you're speaking to me? If you're in a season like that, then I want to encourage you to stop and pray and ponder, has God spoken to me previously about something in my life or something he wanted me to do? or something he wanted to change in my life, something he wanted me to yield to him, and I haven't responded, if you don't respond when the Lord speaks to you, then there may be silence until you complete that thing that he had for you to do or the thing that he wants to accomplish in your life. So I just want to throw that out to you that um, sometimes if there's silence, you need to go back and say, what what have I missed? What, What has God spoke to me about that I have ignored? and that I haven't done. And I've had to do that myself. And so this is a word that went through my own heart first, and then I can share it with you. So, so he got another word from the Lord. The first word was to go to Elijah. The second word was to now go by the brook Cherith. And then if you were to turn to 18, verse 18, excuse me, chapter 18, and I'm looking here. I want to just make sure I give you the right one. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But during this time where he was at the brook Cherith, it doesn't tell us in this particular chapter, but it tells us later on in chapter 18 that they were searching for him because later when he does, the Lord does tell him to show himself In verse 10 of 18, it says, he's talking to Obadiah, the servant of Ahab, and Obadiah says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. So during this time that God had him hiding by the brook Cherith, Ahab had his men out searching everywhere 
for this man, Elijah, who had come and brought him the message. And you can bet that his intent for Elijah was not good, which is why God took took Elijah and told him, I need you to go and stay at the brook Cherith. I'm going to provide for you. Now, the brook Cherith was actually a brook that was fed by mountain streams, and it flowed into the river Jordan, but it was it flowed through a very desolate place. It's not a place that was inhabitable. It's not a place where there was vegetation where you could scratch out some food and some sustenance, but only God was able to sustain Elijah at that place, and God had a plan. He knew that he could hide him there and that he would be safe and that Ahab would not be able to locate or find him. During that time that he was waiting at the brook, um, I'm sure he was communing with God, but every morning and every evening, the ravens brought him bread and meat, and he was drinking from the brook. So he was completely provided for. I'm not sure what that looked like, but I can kind of picture ravens come flying. and just, so, uh, Did they put it in his hand? Did they drop it on the ground by his feet? We don't know, but God provided for him. But then there came a time where the brook began to dry up. But um, before we talk about that, I wanted to talk about how the Lord will hide us in those times. When there's times where you feel like you can almost feel the breath of the enemy breathing down your neck. Have you ever had that before? Where you can almost feel the prowling of the enemy and you know that this is a season of battle that you're in and where the, the Um, circumstances in your life are really difficult and challenging. There is a promise that God has made to us in many different places, but I'm going to look specifically in Psalm 17, where the Lord promises that he will hide us. And I think we can draw from the fact that he hid Elijah. And there's times when God will hide you in plain sight. He's not going to necessarily tell you to go to a desolate desert. But he will hide you in plain sight. You can be hidden in the Lord, even in your daily life. When you're going about your daily duties and your responsibilities that need to be fulfilled, there is a hiding place in the Lord that we can go to where we can find rest and we can find protection. And in Psalm 17, verses 6 through 9, says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. I'm going to read a little further. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me and from my mortal enemies who surround me. There's times when we just need to run to God. When you feel like you're going through a tough time where there's a battle and you feel like you are being pursued by evil or you're being challenged by, by um, the world and its system, hide yourself in the Lord. And many times I know I have felt like God has just hidden me right in plain view, but he's hidden me in my everyday life where I've just been able to rest in him and say, God, I'm just going to stay hidden in you in the midst of all this turmoil and all of the attack or the negativity around me. And we need to find that resting place in the Lord. And then Psalm 143, verses 8 through 10 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. 
Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, this is a promise from God for all of us to grab a hold of. No matter what difficult things you're going through, no matter what challenges you're going through, God will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He prepared a table for Elijah in the desert, in the desolate place where there was nothing for him, God prepared a table for him. And there's times where I have called out to God and said, God, would you prepare a table before me right now in the presence of my enemies when I've been going through tough things? So I want to encourage you, if you're going through something tough right now, if you feel like you're in a desert place, the desert place was not Elijah's final destination. The desert places, when we're in the desert places and in the wilderness, they are not our final destination. But many times God brings us into those places of wilderness and desert times to prepare us, to strengthen us, to do something in us and to accomplish something in us. Do you remember what happened to Jesus when he had come to John the Baptist and he said, I want you to baptize me in the River Jordan. And John said, oh, Lord, I'm not worthy to baptize you. No. And Jesus said, it must be so. It has to be done to fulfill what is righteous. And so John baptized him. And then when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the voice of the Lord, for the first time it had been silent since the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and all the way now to this time period, over 400 years, there were no prophetic voices. And it was as if the heavens were brass. But when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and people that were there heard the voice of God speak. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and anointed him and baptized him in the power of the Holy Spirit for the ministry that God had called him to do. And then what was the next thing that the Holy Spirit did? Do you remember? It says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness drove him into the wilderness right after God had said, this is my beloved son. He affirmed him and he said, in whom I am well pleased. But yet Jesus had to go into the wilderness for a season of preparation for what he was going to do next. And it says that after the 40 days when he had fasted in the wilderness and had been tested and tried by the enemy, by Satan, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that there will be times when you find yourself in a desert season. And sometimes you need to say, God, am I here because of something I did? Or am I here because you're doing something in me? So ask God, God, what's going on? Is this something that you have brought me into? And I will tell you, we have been in our desert seasons. We've had desert seasons. As a matter of fact, um, put that on hold. Don't let me forget that. But I want to say that when you're in the desert season, look for the hand of God. The hand of God will be there. He will provide for you. He will strengthen you. He will guide you. He will minister to you. He may seem silent. He may seem silent when Elijah was sitting by the brook cherub being fed by the ravens and drinking all the water. There's no record that the Lord spoke to him during that time. The word of God had come to him to go to the brook 
And there's no record that God spoke again until the brook was drying up and then God gave him a fresh word. So sometimes when you're in the wilderness and when you're in the desert season, when it seems like God's not there and he's not speaking and you're not hearing from him, rest in that place and know that God is with you even in that season, even in that time, even in that hour. Don't be dismayed. Keep your trust in the Lord. And as I said, ask him, why am I here, Lord? What, what are you wanting to accomplish? Have I done something that I need to repent of? But I know for us, now I'm coming back to what I started here. For us, there was a season, a particular season that I remember well, where we were in the wilderness. And in, in particular, Gary was in the wilderness. And it was a time in our early days of ministry, and we didn't understand what was going on. We were still, you know, young in in the Lord, and we didn't understand. And we tried so hard to get out of the wilderness. We did everything we could think of. We repented. We prayed. We studied. We got ministry. We did everything we could think of to get out of the wilderness. And we didn't understand why we were in this season that just felt dry and barren spiritually, and no matter what we did, we couldn't get out of it. And I remember at one time, some of you remember who Lois Baker is and Kay Rendall. We've had them come and minister at our church. Wonderful, mighty women of God. And um, Kay in particular has a gift of prophecy that God has given her, and she speaks messages of encouragement for people. And we were at a meeting that they were at, and she just all of a sudden picked Gary out and said, Gary... I have a word for you from the Lord. The Lord says you've been in the wilderness. And we're like, yes, we have. And we, don't, we didn't see these ladies often. Yeah, they really didn't even know us at the time. Um, she, I don't even know if she called you Gary, actually. I don't think she knew your name at that time, but we got to know them afterward. She said, I have a word for you, brother. The Lord says you've been in the wilderness. And you've been trying to get out of the wilderness. But God says, I haven't let you come out of the wilderness because I'm the one that put you there. But this day, I am calling you out of the wilderness. And we were so encouraged by that word because it gave us understanding. Everything that we had been trying to fight against and get out of, God was actually using it at that time as part of our training and our preparation for what was yet to come. He was doing a deep work in our hearts and in Gary's hearts to prepare him for what God had called him to. And we didn't have a word of the Lord from that during that season. We were just walking by faith. There's times where you just have to walk by faith, by what the last word was that you heard. You hold on to that. You hold on to God's faithfulness. You hold on to the fact that he is who he says he is. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what's going on, you hold on to God. And sometimes I felt, I don't know if you did, but sometimes I felt, have you ever seen that poster of the cat who's hanging from a limb and it just by his claws and the rest of him is dangling down? That's how I felt sometimes. I felt like, God, I'm just hanging on by my claws and that's all I have, that little grip, you know, and catch me if I fall, Lord. But God brought us out of the wilderness, and it was a gradual process. It wasn't like overnight, but we knew that there was hope because God had spoken. The word of the Lord came to us, and we knew that God was going to bring us out of the wilderness, and we had great hope. And as God brought us out of that wilderness time and began to move us into the next season, we began to be able to look back over our shoulders and see all the things that God had done in us during that wilderness time that weren't necessarily evident to us when we were there. Does that all make sense? So if you've been in the wilderness or if you feel like you're in the wilderness right now, 
know that God is with you, his hand is upon you, and you will not be in the wilderness forever. That is not your end destination. It's only a part of the journey. Okay? So then, let's look at verse 7 now and see what happens next. Yes, the wilderness is usually a pruning time, a stripping time, where God strips away the things that we've put on, that we've taken on in our life, the things that need to go. Many times it's things that are blocking God's best in your life. Many times we need to die to self. We need to die to our own selfish ambitions. We need to get God's vision and God's plan. And many times God just has to unpack a lot of our baggage in those wilderness times. And then when that happens, he can put all kinds of new things into us and into our life. So sometime later, the brook dried up. I'm in verse 7. Because there had been no rain in the land, right? Because Elijah said there was not going to be any rain or any dew, and so this is now taking place. The brook dried up in verse 7. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Okay, so here he is by the brook. He notices that the brook's drying up, and he's probably thinking, okay, God, what's the next? What's next? You've been sending the ravens, I've been drinking this water, but now the water is nearly gone. What's next? God is never late. I will tell you this, God is never late. We have learned that. God is never late. There's been times when our early days when we were going through uh, financial uh, tightness in our life and we'd be praying and saying, God, we have this bill. And so when Gary was in business for himself as a uh, artist blacksmith doing ironwork, and we'd say, God, we need a job. We need a job. This bill is due. And we'd be like, just like crying out to God. And he was never late. We were never late on our bills, but sometimes the funds would come in just the day before. Like, just in time. (laughs) We'd be like, oh, God, you are really testing us. But we learned so much during that time about God's faithfulness. So God's never late. He spoke. The word of the Lord came to him again. And he told him to go to Zarephath, of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow on that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath where he came to the town gate where a widow was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please, please a piece of bread. And her answer was this, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it. And then we're going to have to die because there's nothing else left. You have to realize that this whole area was in a it was in a drought at this time. It wasn't only affecting Israel, but it was affecting the whole region. It was God's judgment against Ahab and against the nation of Israel for turning against God and worshiping false gods. God had sent many voices to them to try to get them to turn and repent. But finally, God could not stay his hand any longer, and he was trying to call his people back. So sometimes um, these things are discipline from the Lord. And so this woman, here she is. She only has a handful of flour and a little oil in a jug, and she was going to make just, just, just enough for she and her son, and she was going to make a meal. And then she knew that was the end for them because there was no other resources available to her. But here, this is what Elijah says. Even though above this, God had said, I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food, Elijah still needed to ask her. This is what he said. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. 
and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord gives rain on the land. So this was a crossroad moment for this widow. Common sense would have said, feed yourself and your son first, and then see if oil and flour show up, and then feed the prophet. But that's not what God asked her to do. This was actually a very severe test for this widow because God was requiring of her to trust the man of God, the God that she did not worship. She was a worshiper of Baal because actually, interestingly enough, the land that God sent Elijah to was the very land where Jezebel's father ruled and they were worshipers of Baal. So God literally sent Elijah into Jezebel's hometown, Sidon her home community. And so here he was being immersed into the land of all these other Baal worshipers. And this woman, who knew of God, the God of Elijah, but didn't worship him, had to trust that the prophet Elijah's word was going to be true. What would you have done? What would you have done if it was you and your child? And you had a little bit left, just enough for the two of you. And the prophet said to you, feed me first, and then God will provide for you. That was a big decision for her to make, wasn't it? It was a big decision. But guess what she did? She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And we're going to need to stop there right now, and we'll continue next week. And, um, I'm going to do some wrap-up on this, but we'll, we'll continue the story next week. But for three and a half years during the drought, until the word of the Lord came to Elijah again, for three and a half years, the flour and the oil did not give out. And the woman was taken care of, and her son was taken care of, and Elijah was taken care of in the midst of a place of idolatry. And I want to point out to you that this woman stepped into God's kingdom law of giving because the word of God says, Jesus himself said, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. Press, and then it goes on in um, 1 Corinthians, or is it 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11 Jesus said, Give it what given be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, running over, running over. Her barrel ran over, her flask of oil ran over as she stepped into God's law of giving. And here's another truth and another principle that we can uh, draw from this is that sometimes God's supernatural provision will only come when our resources have dried up when we really, really need his supernatural provision. If you've got everything in abundance, you don't need a miraculous provision. But there's times where we feel like all of our resources are dried up. And I felt like I was going to be speaking to people today who feel like you've kind of been at the brook and the brook has dried up and your resources and your provision have dried up. And the, just like this woman, she was at a place where her resources were drying up. There was nothing for her, no alternative. And it's at those times when God's supernatural provision can be released to you, whether it's financial or whether it's other kind of provision. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I can tell you testimony after testimony from our own lives when we've been in situations where I just had to say, God, 
you're going to have to do this. There is absolutely no, nothing I can see that can fix this situation. I ask you to make a way where there seems to be no way. And he is the God who will make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, if you would come. I want to give an opportunity in closing this part of our series on the lessons from Elijah to give you a chance to respond because I think that God's maybe been speaking to some of you, and some of you can really, really relate to some, the things that we've talked about today. So if you would stand to your feet, I want to ask you some questions. This is between you and God. Do you feel like you're in a wilderness or a valley right now, a barren place? If you're in a wilderness or a barren place, then God is speaking to you today. He will meet you in that wilderness. Do you need miraculous provision? Are your resources drying up? Does it feel like you don't have any alternatives right now for resources, for provision? If you're in that place, God will provide for you. He will make a way. He will open a door where there seems to be no way. Have you been in a season where you haven't felt like you're hearing from God, where it just feels like everything is silent. And I want to challenge you to take some time pressing into God and asking him, has he spoken to you in the past and you've somehow overlooked that or ignored it or disregarded the last word that he spoke to you? If that's you, then God wants to give you an opportunity to ask his forgiveness for that so that he can move you into the next season. And do you need boldness like Elijah had to live as God has called you to live? To live, excuse me. Do you have something that God's been putting in your heart to do that you've been just agonizing over and you just don't feel like you are qualified? I want to tell you, the word of God says that Elijah was a man, a human just like us. But he knew that if God called him to do something, then God would provide. He had prepared him. He would equip him. And he would give him the strength to do it. And I would just declare that over all of you, that if God's called you to do something, you are a man or a woman, but you are a man or a woman of God. And he will give you everything that you need the boldness, the courage, the wisdom to do what he calls you to do. Not necessarily something as big as Elijah had to do, but we all have different things that God has for us to do. And your things are just as important in the sight of God because he's prepared you to make a difference. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'd like to pray over you right now. Father, I want to pray right now for those that are in a wilderness in a desolate place, who feel like they are just in a dry, barren place. Father, I ask that you would give them assurance that you are with them right now in that dry place. I ask you, Lord, to wrap your arms of love around them and reveal your faithfulness to them, Lord God. If they are feeling weary and barren, I ask that you would cause life to come forth. I speak life 
over their innermost being. I speak life over their innermost being. I speak life over their innermost being right now in the name of Jesus. I speak life. I just sense that some of you feel so beaten down and battered and exhausted. And God is speaking life over you. I speak a stirring and a life. I ask you, Father, to blow the breath of your Holy Spirit upon the coals of their heart and revive and refresh your children. And Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus for those that need miraculous provision. Father, where their resources are drying up, Lord, I ask that you would give them a word, a word fitly spoken in due season, a word, Father God, that shows them what is the door that you are opening. We ask for provision, Lord God. We ask for miraculous provision. For those, Father God, who need resources, we ask for miraculous provision in the name of Jesus. We ask you to open the door and make a way where there seems to be no way in the name of Jesus. I ask you, Father, to break the back of fear off of people's lives and cause them, like the widow, to step into the place of faith, to believe the word of the Lord, that you are their provider, that you are their source, and that you will be faithful to them, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. And, Father, for those who need boldness and courage to live as you have called them to live in this evil day, Father, I ask that you would cause your people to be strengthened, to be in, receive an impartation of courage and boldness, wisdom and understanding, and all that they need. Father, increase the anointing upon their lives to do the things that you've called them to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Well, we will see you.